that will most likely never be broken. He was, one of, he was the first ever basketball player to be inducted to the Basketball Hall of Fame, not only as a player, but later as a coach. And there, are only, there have only been three other men who have been inducted in that, two other men that have been inducted in that way. He was famous for, right prior to a game, turning to his players and saying, Boys, we get to play basketball today. Let's go. His players admired him. Coaches admired him. The fans admired him. John Wooden was an amazing, amazing coach. But you know, he was, he was more than a coach. Most people, uh, many people, uh, may not know that, that John Wooden was an incredibly strong Christian man. He loved his wife and he loved his family. Wooden's wife, Nellie, she died uh, some 25 years ago on the 21st of March, 1985. And as the story goes, Wooden would set aside the 21st day of every month to go and visit his wife's grave and write a love letter in remembrance of the joy and the friendship that they shared over their many years. For some 25 years after her death, Wooden would write a love letter to his bride on the day that she had died. You know, when you, when you live like that, when you not only win you know, 10 championships in 12 years, but when you're more than just a winner on the playing field, when you're a winner in your marriage and in your family, those kinds of people, they earn the right to be heard. They earn the right to be trusted. When you prove yourself faithful, when you prove yourself reliable, when you pull through victoriously time and time again, there is good reason that others will come to trust in what you say, in what you teach, in how you coach. Psalm 71 is about trust as well. It's about trust that is forged through the fire of trial and hardship. It's about the Lord God who through all kinds of life difficulties that come upon us, how the Lord God proves Himself true and trustworthy time and time and time again. And so the title of this uh, message today is Good Reason to Trust. Good Reason to Trust. Turn to Psalm chapter 71. I want to read through it one time in its entirety. And then we'll just go over some of, these, uh, some of these beautiful words from the psalmist. And by the way, we don't know who wrote Psalm 71. Many of the psalms uh, were written, of course, by uh, King David. And many of them uh, prior to, perhaps even prior to him becoming the king. Um, but in fact, Psalm 71, we do not know who the author was. Clearly, he was a, a servant of the Lord. Uh, most likely one who was older in age as he was looking back over the course of his life. And uh, so take these words to heart. As the psalmist writes, words of trust and hope and dependence upon God. This is what he says. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be my strong refuge to which I may resort continually. You have given the commandment to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. 
Deliver me, O my God, out of the hand of the wicked, out of the hand of the unrighteous and the cruel man. For You are my hope, O Lord God. You are my trust from my youth. By You I've been upheld from birth. You are He who took me out of my mother's womb. My praise shall be continually of You. I have become as a wonder to many, but You are my strong refuge. Let my mouth be filled with Your praise and with Your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Do not forsake me when my strength fails. For my enemies speak against me. And those who lie in wait for my life take counsel together. They say God has forsaken him. Pursue and take him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, do not be far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. Let them, my enemies, let them be confounded and consumed who are adversaries of my life. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonor who seek my hurt. But I, I will hope continually. I will praise You yet more and more. My mouth shall tell of Your righteousness and Your salvation all the day. For I do not know their limits. I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of Your righteousness, of Yours only. O God, You've taught me from my youth. And to this day I declare Your wondrous works. And also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, do not forsake me until I declare Your strength to this generation, Your power to everyone who is to come. Also, Your righteousness, O God, it is very high. You who have done great things, O God, who is like You? You who have shown me great and severe troubles, You shall revive me again and bring me again. Bring me up again from the depths of the earth. You shall increase my greatness and comfort me on every side. Also with the lute, I will praise You and Your faithfulness, O my God. To You I will sing with the harp, O Holy One of Israel. My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing to You and my soul, which You have redeemed. My tongue also shall talk of Your righteousness all the day long. For they, my enemies, they are confounded. They are brought to shame who seek my hurt. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for words that are, that are honest and that are authentic. And we see here, Lord, in this psalm, both a cry of help and a confession of trust. And I pray today, Lord, that wherever we be on this spectrum, whether we are crying for help, or whether we are resolute in trusting You, Lord, that we would be able to glean from the experience of the psalmist who writes Psalm 71. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take a look at verses 1-3 through three one more time. The psalmist writes this. He says, In You, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in Your righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline Your ear to me and save me. Be my strong refuge to which I may resort continually. You have given the commandment to save me, for You are my rock and my fortress. You know, as I'm reading these words, uh, the, the thing that comes to mind 
most often is that with great trust comes the potential for great shame. Think about that for a moment. With great trust comes the potential for great shame. Say, so what, what, what do you mean by that? Well, imagine this. Imagine if, if Abraham had left Ur of the Chaldeans, as it says in, in the early parts of Genesis. And imagine if Abraham had left hearing the voice of the Lord saying, go and, and, and go to the promised land and go to a land that I will show you and bless you and multiply you. Imagine if Abraham had left and told his family and told his friends and walked into this land and he died on the way. What would his friends and family think then? Imagine if Moses had, had gone to the Israelites and said, hey, we're going to go out of Egypt and we're going to go to this promised land. Trust me, I know, we, I know, I know we, we pale in comparison to the strength of the Egyptian army, but let's get up, let's go, and God's going to show us the way. And on the way, they drowned in the Red Sea. Imagine if Elijah in front of the prophets of Baal, had looked at them and said, I'm going to call down fire from heaven to consume this sacrifice. And he looked up and said, Lord, bring down the fire. And nothing happened. Imagine if Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to die and three days later I'm going to rise. And he died and three days later nothing happened. When we put our trust in the Lord, when we put our trust in anything, in a person, in a school, in a job, whatever it is, when we divest ourselves and put our trust and our hope and our confidence in someone or something, there is potential for great shame to come. And the psalmist writes, In You, O Lord, I am putting my trust. Don't let me be put to shame. Don't let this trust go wasted. Don't let the investment I am making in You come back and return void. Let it go on to fruition. Let it be proven true that when I trust You, when I put my trust and my hope and my faith in You, that what returns to me is good and is true and is real. With great trust comes the potential for great shame. Thankfully, friends, we have a God in whom when you put your trust in Him, you don't get back nil. You don't get back nothing. You don't get back empty promises. When you put your trust in God Almighty, when you put your trust in the triune God, when you put your trust in the Christian God, the Lord God of the Bible, you are putting your trust in the one and only. You are putting, putting your trust in the one who says, I am that I am. You are putting your trust in the eternal, eternal Heavenly Father. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, What man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, gives him a stone? 
Or if his son asks for fish, we'll give him a snake. No son, no, no father does that to his son. He says, if you then, being evil, you, you who are fallen, men and women, if you know how to give good things to your children, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give good things to those who ask Him? You know, what it comes down to is, is do you believe God has your best interest at heart? You know, with my kids, I mean... When my, when my son or my daughter, later on in life, when they, when they start asking me for things that, that, that they legitimately need, not, not just you know, the next toy, but when they ask me for something that they legitimately need, some kind of support, some kind of encouragement, some kind of some help in some time of trouble, as a father, it's instinctual. Of course I'm going to offer that support. Of course I'm going to offer that encouragement. Of course I'm going to offer that help. That's what a father does for his children. It's, it's instinct. And we are fallen, and that's our instinct. Imagine how much more instinct it is for our Heavenly Father to look upon His children and when we ask Him for support, when we ask Him for help, when we ask Him for, for, for assistance in a time of trial, imagine what His instinct is. Imagine how much quicker He is to respond and say, I have you. I've got you. It's okay. I'm in control. Do you believe God has your best interest at heart? Do you believe He will not leave you or shame you? Do you believe, as it says in verse 3, that He has given the commandment to save you? Do you believe that? Do you believe it's His, it's his decree in His heavenly throne room that the words out of his mouth is, I want that one delivered. I want that one to overcome. I want my child to be preserved. Do you believe God has that interest in you? Friends, he does. He does. He has that interest in you. He has that much love for you. And so you may look at your life and you may think, yeah, but... but I don't have a job right now. Yeah, but, but I'm, I'm at the end of my financial means. Yeah, but, but my marriage is falling apart. How can, God, how can God have my best interest in mind when all these things are happening? Friends, we see but a narrow picture of what God is doing in our lives. Remember he has your best interest at heart. He is on your side. He is working in your life, in the midst of your situation, and He will prove true. He will prove faithful. Putting your trust in Him will not end in shame. Notice what the psalmist writes in verse 4. He goes on to say, Deliver me, O my God, out of the hand of the wicked, out of the hand of the unrighteous and the cruel man. For You are my hope, O Lord God. You are my trust from my youth. By You I have been upheld from birth. You are He who took me out of my mother's womb. My praise shall be continually of You. I have become as a wonder to many, but You are my strong refuge. Let my mouth be filled with Your praise and with Your glory all the day. 
you know, we see the psalmist here and he, he is literally running from enemies, right? He is literally running from human enemies, which means it, this very well could have been uh, King David, though, though it's not uh, assigned to him per se. The psalmist is literally running from human enemies who wish to harm him, who wish to kill him. Now, I doubt many of you have enemies like that. <laughs> you know, most of you in this room today, you're not running from someone who wants to harm you or kill you. It'd be another human person, that is. But nevertheless, make no mistake, enemies abound all around. Ephesians 6, Paul writes that, that we, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. What, and later on, Paul, uh, uh, other biblical writers write that, the, that I believe Peter writes that the, the, the devil is a roaring lion. He is waiting to devour. He is looking for someone who's weak and he's waiting to pounce on them. And inasmuch as the enemies of this psalmist is a literal human enemy who's chasing him, wishing to kill him or harm him, don't mistake the fact that you and I are facing enemies every single day. Every single day. The devil and his forces are at work in and around our lives to pull us away from the Lord God, to break apart our union with our, our wife, our husband, to put a rift between your relationship with your children, your employees, your, your co-workers. The devil's at work. And all he wants is destruction. All he wants is to discourage you. All he wants is to rip your life apart. And what is the ground? What is the ground of the psalmist's plea for deliverance? What does he ask? He's asking God, deliver me, deliver me. But what is the ground? What is the basis of that deliverance? What is he citing? What is the evidence that gives the psalmist encouragement to ask for deliverance? It is the past faithfulness of God. Notice. Notice what he says. He says this in verse in verse 5, he says, For you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my trust from my youth. Then he goes back further. Verse 6, By you, God, I've been upheld from birth. You are the one who took me out of my mother's womb. My praise shall be continually of you. The basis of our call for deliverance, the basis of our request that God, will you, will you help me in this time of need, is the past faithfulness of God. You've been with me, Lord. And when you, when you can look back, maybe over a diary or over a journal that you've kept, or we, when you can reminisce when there's you know, moments, a, a family time, maybe around the holidays or whatnot, when you can, as a family, as, as a group, just stop and look back and, and consider what amazing things God has done in your life. You know, I, I, think, I think we're going to be shocked one day when we get to heaven and we realize just how much the Lord has been preserving us on earth. I think we're going to be amazed. Um, not a day goes by that I don't pray that the Lord would uh, 
protect my wife and kids on the road. And the reason I pray that prayer is because my wife is an awful driver. Right? Okay, she admits it. I'm okay. I'm alright, guys. Don't worry. It's true. She is an awful driver. And don't ever drive with her. I mean, you, you, you'll, 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 you'll cling to the seat. That's why I always drive. No, honey, I love you. But you are a really bad driver. And, and there's not a day that goes by that I think, Lord, please, please protect my wife and kids on the road. Please. I beg you. And, um, and yet at the end of the day, when she, when she you know, when, uh, when I come home and there they are safe and sound, I, I, very few days do I remember that prayer. Very few days do I think, thank you, Lord. You protected them again. You know, we're, we're going to get to heaven one day and uh, the Lord's going to come up to us and He's going to say, hey, I wanted to show you exactly how I protected you. I mean, watch this little film here. And He's going to show all the times in which you and I have been preserved and upheld and kept from danger and protected. And we're going to be amazed. And that's the basis of the call for deliverance. The past faithfulness of God. To call out, Lord, help me, deliver me, save me, because I know You've already done it before. Put things in perspective. Put things in perspective. You know, John Wooden was, was famous for putting things in perspective. Here's a man, a coach, a national uh, championship coach, and... Uh, you know, everybody thought, for, for a man like him, basketball was everything. You know, basketball was all there is for a, a man like John Wooden. It was, it was the pinnacle of his life. It was the pinnacle of his achievement. But Wooden was quick to, to say otherwise. In fact, he's quoted as saying, I've always, I have always tried to make it clear that basketball is not the ultimate. It is of small importance in comparison to the total life we live. And there is only one kind of life that truly wins. And that is the one that places faith in the hands of the Savior. Here's a man that, that so many people uh, you know, envy and, and wish to be. And wow, look at, this, look at this amazing coach. There's been none better than him. And we think he, he must be so satisfied in this. So satisfied in, in all the achievement. And he says, nope, I'm going to put it in perspective here. The one life that really wins, it's not, it's not the basketball life. It's the life that's put in the hands of the Savior. Have perspective, friends, when, when you're asking God for help. Don't get discouraged in the moment thinking God isn't listening. Look back at your life and think, how many times has He preserved me already? And let that build up the confidence in you, the hope in you, the faith in you to ask for help. The psalmist continues in verse 9. He writes, Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Don't forsake me when my strength fails, for my enemies speak against me. And those who lie in wait for my life, they take counsel together, saying, God has forsaken him. Pursue and take him. For there is none to deliver him. O oh God, do not be far from me. 
Oh my God, make haste to help me. Let them, my enemies, let them be confounded and consumed who are adversaries of my life. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonor who seek my hurt. You know, the psalmist here is crying out. He's saying, Lord, don't, don't forsake me in the time that my strength fails most. I think uh, really the lesson here is, is uh, there's a lot of fear in getting older, isn't there? Um, William MacDonald, uh, in his uh, few notes that he wrote on, on Psalm 71, he's got, a, he's got a beautiful commentary on it. And he wrote, uh, he wrote this of, of the comment about old age and about the fear that this man had of being forsaken when his strength was about to fail him in old age. And this is what William MacDonald writes. He says, Old age is a new world of strange conflicts and secret fears. The fear of being left alone. The fear of being a burden to loved ones. The fear of becoming a helpless invalid. The fear of losing one's grip. The fear of being imposed upon. He writes, these fears are not new. And the psalmist is here thinking aloud for the encouragement of all who are in the autumn of life. There's fear and weakness. Whether it's, it's old age, the weakness of old age and, and the fragility of, of that season of life, or whether it's weakness that's come from, from somewhere else in our life that's, that's caused us to be weakened, to be disheartened, to be discouraged. And our enemies, our enemies lie in wait for that time of weakness. And yet, we trust in the Lord. We trust He will help. And He will. And it really, I, again, we look at the past faithfulness, we look at the confidence that, that has been built up over the years, and we say He will help in this time of weakness. And we look around here and we, we recognize, yes, He will help because we have a group, a community of people here at Coast who are always ready and vigilant to defend one another, to protect one another, to provide for one another. Um, you know, the, we're, we're coming into really hard economic times. And, uh, well, we, we've been in hard economic times. And in the future, I mean, some will say one way, some will say another. Um, I don't, I'm not an economist. I don't know where it's going to go. But I imagine later on down the road in our future, there, there's going to be hard times. I mean, the Scriptures speak the last days, you know, in Revelation, it speaks of the economy being so out of whack that it's going to take a huge bag of money just to buy a loaf of bread. And so, if we are anticipating that later on things might get a little more difficult, a little tougher, we need to surround ourselves with, with hope and with confidence. And not only can we rely on the Lord who's seen us through all this time, but, but I want us to rely on each other. Amen? Um, there's not a family here who... If, uh, you know, if you lose your home, you're not going to be taken in. There's not a family here who that's going to happen to. There's not a family here who's going to go hungry. There's not a family here who's, who's going to have a, a medical situation that is so overwhelming and a bill that they cannot pay that we are not going to come and help and assist as much as we are able to as a family as, and as a community. 
So to the seniors, to the coasters, I want to say that uh, the, the, the fear, the fears that William McDonald writes of, the fear of being left alone and the fear of being a, a burden and whatnot, you know what? Those, those aren't your fears. Those aren't your fears. Because this church is going to take care of you. Marianne has been so gracious over the years to Francis Harmon, our, one of our longtime members. And, uh, and I know to Lolita and to Carl and to many others. And, uh, and you know what? When, it, when, when, when the day comes, when any of you are homebound and when you uh, cannot attend anymore, we, we want to attend to your needs. We want to provide for you. The shame that the shame that our enemies try to put upon us, you know. Look at verse 10. My enemies, they speak against me. They lie in wait. They take counsel together. They, they say in their group, hey, look, God has forsaken them. Let's pursue. Let's take them. There's none to deliver them. The shame that our enemies think is going to be put on us is going to be put on them. The shame is going to be put on them. Notice verse 13. Let them be confounded and consumed who are adversaries of my life. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonor who seek my hurt. We, by the, by the mercy of God and by the power of His Spirit, we are not going to let one another fall in the latter times of life. We are going to uphold one another. We are going to provide and protect for one another. And that's what a Christian church is all about. And so we have hope. And so we have hope. Notice verse 14. But I will hope continually. And I will praise you yet more and more. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and of your salvation all the day, for I don't know their limits. I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I'll make mention of your righteousness, of yours only. Oh God, you've taught me from my youth. And to this day, I will declare your wondrous works. Now also, when I am old and when I am gray-headed, oh God, don't forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. You know, when we consider the multitude of the things God has done to deliver us, when we look back and we think, really, how has He preserved us? How has He protected us? We come to learn that there's no limit to them. No limit whatsoever. Now, oftentimes, my family and I, we go, um, Casey and I and the kids, we go north to visit my family up in... Uh, Chico area, Paradise, California. For those of you that know Paradise, not quite Paradise to me, but um, you might think it is. And uh, my grandparents occasionally, uh, they don't always do this, but occasionally they really, really like to go uh, and take us out to dinner. And there's always a, a special spot that they like to take us. It's a wonderful restaurant. It's called uh, the Hometown Buffet. You ever been there? All right. Fantastic restaurant. I mean, you know, all you can eat. All right. You, look, you walk in and there's just rows and rows and rows and rows of nice preheated chicken and, and steak and fish and, and vegetables and fruit. And you can get breakfast there if you want. I mean, and all of it's just been heated all day. It's ready for you. It's ready to go. And there's no limit to what you can eat. No limit whatsoever. So what do I do? Man, when I go to the hometown buffet, I, because there's no limit, certainly not because of the food, 
But because there is no limit to what I can eat, and, and I just still write the same, same bill, I eat like crazy. I do. I, I don't eat lunch that day. I wait until dinner. And then when I get there, I'm thinking, hey, if I'm paying $14.95 for the Home Down Buffet, I'm going to eat today. All right? And I just start piling it in. And I go plate after plate after plate. And I just eat and eat and eat and eat until I'm gorged and full. And I walk out of there and, yeah, who knows? Anyway. Why do I bring this up? When there's no limit, you take advantage of it, right? I mean, it doesn't matter if the food stinks. It doesn't matter if it's been preheated all day. When there's no limit and there's an unlimited buffet before you, no matter how bad it tastes, you go for it, right? Well, at least I do. None of you can resonate, I guess. You go for it. You say, wow, no limit. Fantastic. Guess what, friends? There is no limit to the deliverance of God. There's no limit to it. There's no limit to His salvation. He says in verse 15, My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day. I don't know their limits. I don't know the limits of your goodness to me. And so I'm going to literally gorge myself on the goodness of God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and of your salvation all the day. I do not know their limits. And so he goes on to say in verse 17, And to this day I declare your wondrous works. Now also when I am old and when I am gray-headed, O God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. You know, uh, coasters, seniors, pay close attention to these verses. The psalmist writes, To this day, verse 17, I declare your wondrous works. Now also when I am old and when I am gray-headed, O God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation and your power to everyone who is to come. Coasters, seniors, those of you in the, in the autumn of life, I want you to make this one of your life goals. I want you to make it one of your life goals. Let it be one of your final life goals to do this very thing. To convey to this generation, that means me, that means the rest of us, to convey to this generation how God has been good. How He has been strong. How He has been faithful. Because I'll tell you, we desperately need that encouragement. My generation desperately needs that perspective. Because my generation, all we know of is, is homes that double in value and that crash to the ground. My generation, all we know of is pro athletes who win championships and then have affairs. My generation, we, we, we really we don't know of, of, of things like sacrifice and service. We're starting to. We're starting to learn it as we see our soldiers go off to battle. But even still, when they come home, we're still not getting it in full like, like you did at the close of World War II. My generation is missing some of that. And we need you to declare the strength of the Lord. We need you to declare His power and His faithfulness to us and to keep telling us these things. 
And let your faith be just readily apparent to us. Don't, uh, I want to say this very clearly, don't be afraid to pull us aside and share with us your story. I really mean that. Don't be afraid to pull us aside and share with us your story. If you, if you want to you know, get together a Bible study, a, a mentoring opportunity with other young men and women in the church, I can tell you there are people who want that. And so ask me for opportunities to give back to this generation because they need it. We need it. John Wooden, he once said that if I were ever prosecuted for my religion, I truly hope there would be enough evidence to convict me. Let me read that again. If I were ever prosecuted for my religion, I truly hope there would be enough evidence to convict me. In other words, let your life be so apparent and let the, let the testimony of your lips, the praise of God coming out of you, be so readily apparent that people cannot deny the example that you set before them. Verse 19. Also, your righteousness, O God, it is very, very high. You have done great things, O God. Who is like you? You have shown me great and severe troubles. Excuse me. You who have shown me great and severe troubles, you shall revive me again and bring me up again from the depths of the earth. You shall increase my greatness and comfort me on every side. With the lute, I will praise you and your faithfulness, O my God. To you I will sing with the harp, O Holy One of Israel. My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing to you. My soul, which you have redeemed. My tongue also shall talk of your righteousness all the day long. For they are confounded. And they are brought to shame who seek my hurt. As we've just been speaking of, preservation of God upon our lives that we don't even know of. The psalmist writes in, in verse 19, it is you who have done these great things, O God. Who is like you? Who is like you? No doubt we go through hardships and we go through trials and we go through struggles. He says that. He says in verse 20, you who have shown me these great and severe troubles, you, Lord, who have permitted these things to occur, you shall also revive me again and bring me up again from the depths of the earth. And that is why we can look upon hardships and trials and, and, and reckon, calculate, think. Through this, I will gain perseverance, I will gain character, and I will gain hope. That is why we can consider it pure joy, brethren when you face trials of many kinds. And God will bring us through it. And it says He exalts the humble in heart. He exalts those who trust in Him. Notice verse 21. You shall increase My greatness and comfort Me on every side. Now, is this greatness for our own sake? No, not at all. Not, not personal greatness or, or, or popularity or prestige in our own right. No, once again, the words of John Wooden prove true here. He says the main ingredient of stardom is the rest of the team. The main ingredient of stardom is the rest of the team. And here the psalmist writes, not of, not of our personal greatness and stardom and prestige, but of the fact that 
because we are dependent, because we are trusting, because we are hoping on the Lord God who has proven faithful, we'll be exalted. The Lord casts down those who exalt themselves, but He lifts up the humble. He exalts the humble. And the greatness there is, is none other speaking about our own personal greatness, but nevertheless, the, the, the honor that the Lord gives to those who trust in Him. And the honor that He will give them in the life to come as He rewards them for their faithfulness. And so we praise God because He is faithful. Again, verse 22-24, to 24, He writes also with the lute, I will praise You with your, and Your faithfulness, O my God. To You I will sing with the harp, O Holy One of Israel. My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing to You and my soul which You have redeemed. My tongue also shall talk of your righteousness all the day long, for they are confounded, for they are brought to shame who seek my hurt. Did you catch that last line? It's kind of, you might look at it and think, that's really out of context. Why, why, does, why does the psalmist end with all this praise and glory and thankfulness to God and then talk about how his enemies are shamed? Well, remember the initial fear. Remember the initial trepidation that causes many not to trust. Remember what causes many people not to ask God for help and not to depend upon Him and not to to trust Him. It's in verse 1. In You, O Lord, I'm going to put my trust, but please let me not be put to shame. The psalmist began with with some worry, with some trepidation. Lord, I'm going to trust You, but God, please, please don't put me to shame. Please don't take my trust and let it fall to the ground. Please don't take what I'm investing in You, the hope, the faith, the confidence, the trust. Don't take it, Lord, and let it return void. No, let that be the lot of my enemies. Let let that be the lot. Let shame be the end of those who mock me, who persecute me, who look upon my life and my faith and how I live and say that's foolish. Let shame and dishonor come upon them, those that wish to do me harm, and not upon me. Lord, don't let my trust go to waste. Let not the confidence I have put in you be utterly shaken. Let me never be put to shame. I won't be put to shame. My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing to you. My soul, which you have redeemed, my tongue shall talk of your righteousness all the day. And instead of me being shamed, my enemies will be confounded. Instead of me being dishonored by my trust, my enemies will be brought to shame. Instead of me being hurt and killed and, and, and shown that my trust and my hope and my confidence was just a figment of my imagination, my enemies will be the ones hurting. With great trust comes the potential for great shame. 
And yet there is good reason. There is good reason to trust in the Lord. Friends, I I just want to leave you with that simple point today. In Psalm 71, if you were to put it into four words, it is good reason to trust. Good reason to trust. What are you not trusting the Lord for? What is it in your life that you are refusing to trust Him because, because you are concerned that that trust will turn to shame, embarrassment, if somehow, some way, the Lord doesn't pull through. He's pulled through. He's already pulled through. He's done it since your birth. He's done it since you've been a youth. You are here. You are alive today because the Lord God Almighty wants you alive. He has your best interests at heart and He wants you to trust Him. He will not put you to shame. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we confess that it is not easy for us to trust. Lord, we, when we trust humans, they often fail us. Sometimes our, our life, our spouse fails us when we trust them. Sometimes our children fail us. Sometimes... Those at work fail us. Our friends, Lord, it hurts when they fail us, when we put our trust in them, and yet we get burned. But God, we look upon our lives, and there's one thing that we cannot deny, Lord, and that is that You have proven faithful. Lord, we have certainly been through hardship. We have certainly been through trials. And there have certainly not been a... It's not been a life of just rosiness, Lord. But God, we wouldn't be here today if it weren't for the breath that You were giving us. And so we we remain resolute in our confidence that You have a plan for us. And that You are asking us to trust You more. To depend on You more. To walk in Your Spirit. And not by our own flesh. Help us, Lord, to trust You. Help us, Lord, to reckon in our mind that You have given the commandment to save us. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.